we were looking at Nehemiah, uh, one of the things that we saw about him and the situation he was in was that the uh, people of God were uh, uh, in a terrible situation economically. The richer people were exploiting the poor people. The middle class people were having to mer- uh, mortgage their property to be able to buy seed, to be able to uh, plant their crops. And then there was taxation and the wall that they're trying to build was not getting built. And people were upset and angry and that sort of stuff. And so Nehemiah stepped in, required that uh, lending be done without interest and that the um, uh, that debts be be relieved. And so kind of what we're going to look at today is a continuation of that story about uh, something that we'll learn about Nehemiah personally, something uh, uh, about him and how he uh, dealt with a, a situation, uh, a further economic situation uh, there among his people. So but before I read Nehemiah 5, 14 and 19, let me pray and uh, we'll jump in. Lord, we, we come to you today thanking you that uh, you are our God and we are your people. We thank you that you're good and that your love endures forever. Uh, Lord, it is uh, not much uh, that we can think of in our world that endures forever. And yet uh, that is uh, true of you and true of your love for us. And so we're grateful for that today. Help us in our fatigue and anxiety and stress uh, uh, to remember that and to see you in that. Uh, so bless us now as we look at your servant, Nehemiah. Uh, bless this text and uh, use it by your spirit to comfort and convict. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So Nehemiah five fourteen to 19. Um, this is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. So moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for their daily ration 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also persevered in this work on this wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now, what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds, and every 10 days, all kinds of wine in abundance." Yet for all this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the food service was too heavy on this people. Remember, for my good, oh, my God, all that I have done for this people. So what it's a pretty crazy picture that we have here and something that we can learn about exactly what's what's happening in, in Nehemiah's life. Right. So it's just one crisis after another as he's trying to get this this wall built, as he's trying to gather, kind of reconstitute the people there in Jerusalem. And now he uh, one of the things we we get a, the curtain to pull back a little bit on what kind of person Nehemiah is, but also how he led and uh I cared for his people. So Nehemiah, remember, he's not just a prominent person. He's not just a prominent Jewish person there in Jerusalem. He's the governor appointed by the emperor of uh, um, Persia. And as such, he has all sorts of responsibilities. 
And so he has the responsibility to entertain people, to entertain dignitaries, to entertain people who are passing through Jerusalem on their way to the capital of of Persia. That's what these 150 people are that are coming to his house every day for dinner. Just think about that. 150 people coming to your house every day for dinner. Got to clean too, right? So uh, much, much less uh, provide all of, of this food for them. And so all the governors that had come before him taxed the people to pay for that because it was a government, it was a state thing uh, that needed to be done. Nehemiah looks at the heavy burden of that, sees what's going on, sees the economic uh, struggle that's happening and sees uh, uh, the, the fact that that will hinder the unity of the community and that it will hinder getting the wall built. So he decides not to do that, right? And so he has the right to tax but he chooses not to. And so I think that's a great, AJ put my notes up there. I think that's a great place for us to begin today to ask yourself the question, when was the last time you had a right or privilege that you let go for the sake of someone else or for God's glory? Now, we're Americans. We have rights from God, right? We believe that. No, no man gives us a right. Our rights are from God, and, and that's exactly true. They are God-given rights, no doubt about it, right? Um, uh, but uh, uh, the, the, the fact is, when was the last time, on your own, by your own desire, you saw that you had the right or the privilege to be or to do something, and you gave it up for the sake of someone else? Or for God's glory. Now, one of the things that I've noticed about this time that we that, that we've been in, that I think there's there's probably even less of that than than normal, because I think people are frazzled and anxious and uh, tired and uh, with short fuses. Right. Uh, I feel that. Uh, uh, yesterday, uh, I went to the dump and. Um, I, I, I like to go to the dump because there's something purposeful and it's something I can begin and actually complete. And I can say when I started, this can was full and now it's empty, right? And so there's just something satisfying about that. So I went to the dump yesterday. I don't know if you ever go to the Henrico County dump, but since the pandemic started, it's it's an adventure because you should see how you know, social distancing affects the way you go to the dump. So when you drive the, up the road to the dump, there's a sign that says 120-minute wait, 90-minute wait, 60-minute wait, 30-minute wait, right? So, so that you know as you're backed up here how long it's going to take you to dump your trash. <laughs> the first time that... I came upon that. I must say, it's a good thing I don't have a camera in my car, and that because uh, talk about giving up any rights, I wasn't giving up much of anything. I was, it was unbelievable. I'm like, how, how can this be? We're at the dump, and you got to socially distance. I mean, this, this is by definition, this is the filthiest place on the planet, right? I mean, this is, this is everything here is dirty and contaminated. Well, uh, yesterday I went. I didn't have to wait, but I got right in there and I. Back my truck up and I'm throwing the stuff off the truck and I'm getting everything done. And I noticed as I'm getting stuff off the truck that, that underneath my truck, whoever had been there before me had spilled a lot of nails. 
Lots of nails. Plenty of nails. And so I, you know, that's, this is so good. You know, I'm thinking today is getting off to a grand start. And um, so I'm raking stuff out of the back of the truck. And one of the guys who works at the dump doing his job says, hey, don't rake that stuff out of the back of your truck. <laughs> and I turned and looked at him and I said, like, the guy who was here before me didn't rake these nails out for me to run over. Fortunately, there was a lot of equipment moving. He didn't hear me say that. Um, but the people next to me heard me say that, and uh, they started moving away, like, can we get another slot to get away from the crazy man over here who's uh, dumping this out? Because I thought, I have the right here because I'm going to have a flat tire, and I should sue Henrico County for a couple of million because of the pain and suffering and the difficulty that I'm going to have here because I'm going to have a flat tire. So what I realize about that is, is that just in little in- encounters like that, right, my first thought was not, how can I serve? How can I give up my rights here for the glory of God and for the good of these people to bless them? Now, I was very concerned about, I need, you know, I want to be protected, cared for, provided for. It's my right. And you know what? It is your right. It is. Absolutely. Um, and... uh Um, the truth is that when God gives you rights, there are only two people who rightfully should, should give them up, take them away from you. One is God who gave them to you to begin with. And the other one is you, right? And I would, I would say to you that you can't really be in love with someone else. You can't really love another person unless to some degree you've been re, your desires have been reoriented. You've been changed so that to be in a relationship with this person, to care for them, that there are times and periods, maybe vast times and periods, maybe the whole time you're in relationship with them, you set your rights and your privileges aside so that you can be in a loving relationship with this person. Now, there's a lot in you know a lot of people uh, who would say, well, that is that is a bad way to be because that means you might disappear or that means you might uh, uh, um, you might get lost in this. But I want to be I want us to be clear about this this morning that one of the things that the gospel does for us, one of the things that having a clear understanding as Nehemiah does of who our of who we are and what our identity is, frees us. To set aside what is ours. Now, one of the things, if you do some math here, and I don't know if you, you did that or not when you read this, is that we learn something about Nehemiah in this passage by implication that's not expressly said, right? So if he's got to feed 150 people a day, and, and, and he does that himself, and he says here that he killed an oxen and six sheep and random birds, and every 10 days a lot of wine, Let's do some math, because he did this for 12 years. Okay? So that means 4,380 oxen. That's a lot of beef. That's a lot of beef, man. 4,380. That's a lot. Right? And then 26,280 sheep. That's a lot of sheep. I, I wonder if that's more sheep than's in the Commonwealth of Virginia right now. 
Not, not, not many sheep in Virginia anymore. It used to be a lot, but that, that, that's a ton. And that's not even including the chickens and the ducks and the geese and, and all of that stuff and all that. I mean, this guy is rich. Phenomenally rich. That he is able just on his own, with his own wealth, to be able to provide this kind of food every single day for 12 years. Now, one of the things that's interesting about this is, is he a bad man because he's rich? Does this, do the scriptures say, you know, Nehemiah was, was a terrible person because he was wealthy? No. There's nothing wrong with being rich. There's nothing inherently sinful with being wealthy. In fact, God makes people wealthy so that they can do things like this, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's one of the things that, you, that, we, that we should see about that. Nehemiah has the means to be able to do this. And, and because he has the means and the heart and the desire to do this, he is blessing those people by not taxing them and, 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 and laying upon them what would be required for him to complete the work that he's got to do, right? So there's nothing wrong inherently with being rich. In fact... It's a good thing we should celebrate it probably more than we do. Envy is a terrible thing, right? Uh, but those of us who are rich, which is 99.9% of us, if you compare ourselves to the rest of the world, uh, the issue is, you know, when do we put aside our rights and our privileges to, to gain more, to get richer, uh, for the, when do we, when do we set that aside for the glory of God or for the benefit of somebody else? And how are we going to get there to be able to do that? Well, here's the thing, and this is the key. And I think this is the thing about Nehemiah and the thing for us that we need to think about. There's no law of generosity here. There's no law that says, listen, you know, if you're really a Christian, you're going to, you're going to give, uh, uh, to your hurt or you're going to, you're going to set aside your rights in every single case, right? No, what, what, what we realize here is that Nehemiah is doing something willingly. He is doing something because his heart has been changed. As he says here, he's doing this out of reverence for God. He has a God-centered view of himself and a God-centered view of the people. And as a result of that, he is, his desire to do things have been changed, right? He knew that there are some things, maybe things that are unseen, that are better than the things that we can see. It was a preferred thing, a better thing to be able to bless the people and not put a load of taxation upon them to be able to spend some of his own wealth so that the people would be free to feed themselves and to care for themselves and do the work that they needed to do. That was a better thing. And the blessings that would come from that were better blessings than simply seeing his bank account or his sheep count or his oxen count remain super high. Right. So his heart's been changed. His his desires have been changed. Now, that is something that that we that you need to think about, about the effect of the gospel on your life. We one of the one of the big mistakes that we make in the church is that we think what the gospel does for us is it changes the way we think. And it certainly does. And and Christians are, are often mindless. No doubt about that. But the big thing that the gospel does for me and you. The big thing that Jesus does is because he loves us and because his desire is for us, it changes what we want. It changes what we desire, right? So that rather than being fixated upon uh, the, 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 the wealth and the, 
prestige and the things that I can get now, I realize that because God loves me, it sets me free now not to have to be so focused upon that. And that's what's happening to Nehemiah. Uh, Ann Long mentioned uh, last week uh, in our uh, Q&A time uh, about my, my dad, that my dad had zingers. Well, he had lots of zingers. And, and uh, one, of, one of the things, you know, he was a ruling elder in uh, Presbyterian church for a million years. And so he'd been, you know, in a million session meetings. He dealt with a million pastors and, and I could talk to him about how terrible I thought my job was sometimes. And I could talk to him about how difficult it was and how challenging it was. And one of the things that he always said to me, and I think, uh, we say this in our family at least once a week, you know, people do what they want to do. In the end, that's what people do. People do what they've decided to do, what it seems best to them, what they desire to do. It's very rare that we do something that uh, we don't really want to do, right? Because even if we look at something as a lesser of two evils or something like that, we've made that choice because that's that's what we want to do. Well, what needs to happen to us, what the gospel needs to happen to, to do to us is to change the things that we want. To reorient us away from only being self-driven, self-directed, to be in a place where we are quicker to serve and be generous to others. Because what we see is the value of that. The good of that, the joy of that is greater than the little joy and the little value that I get for holding on to these rights and privileges just to myself. Now, that's supernatural, right? Because just like Nehemiah recognizes here, he has to entrust himself to God because what he recognizes is what he can see is the sheep. What he can see is the oxen. What he can see is the the chickens and the ducks and the geese and seeing them all go away. Right. There goes his wealth out the door. But there's something greater here. And that is the glory of God and the blessing of his people. And so that's why when we get here to the uh, the next slide, but one of this, that's why he's praised the prayer that he does. And what he says to God is now, this may have struck you as, you know, kind of inappropriate. But remember, for my good, oh, my God, all that I've done for this people. That sounds a little boastful, right? But he's talking to God about this and he's like, God, you know, I've, I've done this. Would, would you, would you protect me? Would you bless me? Do you see how, and, and out of love for you, I've done these things. And so it's not like he's demanding that God do something to him. He's saying, I entrust myself, my wealth, my well-being, uh, the well-being of this project and these people into your hands because I revere you. I love these people. I love you. And so I've set aside what is rightfully mine for you. Right? Now, the, the, the thing that's profound about this is, and I think the thing that is, is, is super uh, uh, challenging for us is that it is, this, this, this is supernatural. People, people don't naturally and normally give up what is theirs by right. It, it takes something bigger and something more compelling to do that. And so I think one of the things that is profound about this is it's so rare among us. I wonder what impact to the servants and to the other wealthy people there in Jerusalem it had when they looked at Nehemiah and saw what he was doing, 
saw the generosity that he was exercising, saw that he was setting aside his right. I mean, because if every governor who's been there before him taxes you for this meal every day, and now he's not, but he's still doing the meal, all of a sudden you have to recognize, wow, he's doing something great here for us, right? What kind of impact might that have had on the rest of the community? I think that's a pretty profound thing for us to think about. What what impact might it have on the community when somebody looks at you and says, you know, they had the right to hold on to this and they let it go. They bless somebody else with something that God had given them, right? And so it's I, I just want you to think a little bit about that this morning that, you know, Jesus has given you so much blessed you with so much, lived for you, died for you, risen again for you, blessed you with every blessing in the heavenly realms, has an eternity of uh, bliss and joy for you. He blesses you now even with provision for you. Does that free you up to set aside your rights to love somebody else? Um, that's the... the that, that, we should look for the fruit of the gospel in our lives with that, right? Um, my, one of my favorite stories from uh, the gospels comes from Matthew uh, 17. Jesus is, this is leading up to him going into uh, Jerusalem. And it says, when they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax, and the two drachma tax was the tax that, the, that every Jewish person had to pay for the upkeep of the temple, Right? And so because he's a, a, a Jesus is a, is a Jewish person, he's got these followers, the guys who collect the tax, tax collectors, come up to Peter and say, does your teacher not pay the tax? And he said, yes. That's all he says, because he doesn't know. It's like he's caught off guard, right? I don't, uh, do, do we pay the tax or not? Yes. Have, have you ever been like that before where you're on Put on the spot, uh, I don't know, but yes, yeah, yeah, we do. And then he goes back to see Jesus. And you can tell Jesus is like laughing at Peter in some ways. Like when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first. What do you think, Simon? He doesn't call him Peter, he calls him Simon. And anytime Jesus calls Peter Simon, he's kind of like, Simon, come on. He's going back to his old name. He's like, wake up here. I'm about, you know, pay attention, <laughs> right? What do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said from others, of course, you know, no, no king taxes the princes and the princesses. No, no king taxes his own kids. The, he taxes the other people for their upkeep, right? Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. You're free. You're free. Right? However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you'll find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. In other words, what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, listen, you, you're, you're a child of the king. You're, you're a prince. You're a princess. You belong to God. He's done everything you need. He has blessed you richly. And not only has he blessed you, but he set you free. And the freedom that you have now is not to be under this kind of obligation. 
But for the sake of others, put yourself under this obligation to do it. And not only that, by putting yourself under the obligation, Jesus promises to Peter here, shows Peter here, I'll provide you with what you need to love these tax collectors, love these other people, not by, 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 by paying this tax so that they don't stumble. And it's interesting, right? You know, we, you think, well, Peter was a fisherman. Of course he went out like this. Peter never fished with a hook. You know that, right? He, he always fished with nets. Right? And so, so this, this is something unique, something different that he's like, like, go throw a hook in the water. Cause when we think of fishermen, we think of hooks, right? That's not, how did Peter fish when Jesus first saw him? He's pulling the nets in, right? At, at, after Jesus' resurrection, what's Peter doing? He's fishing with nets. Jesus says, no, this time just go out and stick a hook in the water. This, I'm going to appoint a fish to bite that hook. And it's gonna, it must have had quite a mouth because it bites the hook and it's got a coin in its mouth. And, G, and Peter takes the coin out and pays the tax. So not only does he say, you're free, use your freedom now to bless, but I'll provide you with what you need to bless others. You believe that? When the pressure comes on, when the challenge comes, is God's grace and mercy and love and provision so great and frees you up so much that you can set your rights aside for somebody else? Can you do that? Would God do that in us and for us? Let's ask him to do that. Father, we we come to you recognizing the fact that we are, um, it's hard for us to believe that you're for us. It's hard for us to believe that we're uh, your offspring, that we belong to you. And so uh, we tend to hoard, we tend to protect ourselves, and we are quick to protect our rights. uh, And uh, we are slow to give them up. Uh, Would you make your love, your grace, your mercy to us so compelling uh, that for the sake of others and for your glory, we'd be willing uh, to give up, to set aside our rights for the blessing of other people. Help us to do that, Lord. You you know how we are um, quick uh, to protect ourselves, protect our rights. Uh, would you do that work uh, in us? And would you uh, change uh, what we desire and what looks good to us and what looks attractive to us and what looks life-giving to us so that we'd be quick to do that? We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's use this uh, uh, confession of sin uh, from uh, Matthew 22, printed uh, in the bulletin, also uh, up on the screens behind me. Would you pray with me? Our Lord Jesus Christ, you summarized the law of God when you said you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. God of grace, you love us, but we have not loved you. You call, but we have not listened. We walk away from neighbors in need, compelled by our own concerns. We have praised what you condemn. Help us to admit our sin 
so that as you come to us in mercy, we may repent, turn to you, and receive forgiveness through Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Amen. Believers hear these words of encouragement. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Please stand.